Welcome to Studio B. My name is Sarah Scott. This is the podcast all about this crazy thing we call the music industry. The intro podcast is just before this one. You can stream that to learn a little bit more about what we're going to be doing here over the next few episodes of Studio B. But this is the first official episode and it's called It Started With a Song. And that's how a lot of musicians get their start with a song. So we are talking about songwriting, of course, with Shard Morrison. He is one of a kind. I could tell you how I met him, but me and him both agree. We don't actually remember how we fully met each other. We did officially talk talk at a Project Wild showcase. But before that... We're still working on the details, but it doesn't matter because this guy is so cool. He has songs and melodies appearing on TV, album projects, ad campaigns, and live shows. He's also a performing songwriter himself. Char Morrison will be the first to tell you that he is a student of song, born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. He is just a very awesome guy that I've had the privilege to know for a couple of years now. He is doing co-writing sessions. He currently mentors new artists and songwriters, hosts Writers Round, and he is part of the Calgary Songsmith Monthly Meeting and assists performers with their live show staging. And he's also starting up and owns his own entertainment company called Shattered Glass. This guy is a jack of all trades when it comes to the music industry, and that is why we are featuring him on the first Studio B episode ever, and it started with a song with our guest, Shard Morrison. Welcome. So first of all, I want to say... Massive. Thank you for coming in today, Shard Morrison. This is amazing. So uh, let's talk about you. Who is Shard Morrison? Oh, that is a great enigma. I always say I'm a six foot five giant with a heart of gold, but you'll never, never see me in the spotlight. I'm usually at the back of the club because I'm so tall. That's very true, you know, but you got that heart of gold. You're really awesome. You're really looked up to by a lot of emerging artists and independent artists and industry professionals themselves. How did you get your start in the crazy thing we call a music industry? My story is actually um, one of uh, very unique, but it's one of thousands of the industry. But um, I originally started as an artist and I had all the ambitions to be the next Garth Brooks and be the best entertainer on the planet. And uh I did everything you could possibly do wrong, 100% wrong, because I didn't know about the resources that existed out there. Uh, so when I went to my first CCMAs out in Regina about a decade ago, give or take, um, I went there with uh, full aspirations to, to change Canada and leave my mark on the world, but uh, I was humbled. Um, I was told I couldn't sing. I was told uh, my body type wouldn't make it. I was told I had no chance of actually doing anything in the music industry. And uh, I was uh, downtrodden, heartbroken, very, very sad. Um, but then I met uh, Troy Cokel and Joni Delorier, and uh, they said that your songs are really, really cool, so why aren't you a songwriter? To which I replied, that's a thing. And uh, that single conversation changed the trajectory of my life forever. Yeah, like tenfold from the sounds of it. Like that is a really cool story, actually. So what happened after that? Like, how did you take on songwriting after that? Or did it take you some time before you kind of got into the swing of things? It took me a little bit to get into the swing of things because I was not aware songwriting was an actual career option in the music industry. Um, so after I spoke with Troy Kokel, 
um, I was able to find a couple really key mentors in the industry, and one of them was Ralph Murphy. And uh, the very first time I met him, I literally said, I know you don't know who I am, but I'm looking to learn more about songwriting. And he gave me three things to do. The next year, I went up to him, gave him the answers, and he gave me three more things to do. The year after that, I gave him all the answers. And uh, then we really started diving into the actual nuance of commercial songwriting for radio. In that time, I've been able to work with uh, mentors of mine, Troy Kokel, Johnny Delorier. I've been able to work with industry greats and legends like Randy Bachman and many others. I could name drop for half the afternoon, but <laughs> that's not going to help anybody. Um, but uh, I, my sole purpose is to write the best songs I possibly can. And uh, looking back where I am now from where I was, what I thought was a great song then, I realized that the industry was right. They were they were okay. And now I understand that the levels of which you have to hone your craft to, especially in country, because no other genre revere songwriting as much as country, where you have to tell a story, you have to have bring, bring the person into the place. The amount of detail and everything required is just awe-inspiring. And as a songwriter, I'm an ever-learning student. And it's just boggles my mind of every time you think you got something under control, there's like another iceberg that you just dig deeper into and deeper into. There's lyrics, there's melody, there's song format, there's the history of it. Like it's just so incredible to be a writer and then you get to hear your song sung by amazing vocalists doing better than you could ever do yourself and you're just like, wow, this is really cool. And it all happens from being locked in a room for three hours at a time. I feel like that would make me go crazy, but I feel like as a writer, that might help. <laughs> it's true. So what were some of the three things that Ryan Murphy said for you to do? Ralph Murphy. Ralph Murphy, excuse Ralph me. Ralph Murphy, yeah. yeah. Um, the biggest thing that he he taught me to do was disconnect my personal feelings from my song. So before I started writing commercially for radio, I wrote from Shard's perspective mm -hmm. and the things going on in my life, which which everyone starts off as. But he taught me to realize that not everyone cares about Shard. You need to realize that the situation is universal, but not the specifics of you. So it was to start thinking like a fish. Start thinking like the people listening to radio. Start thinking of the demographic of country music. And that's when my songs became more of a, an introspective look to more of a broader, what's the term? Hmm. I don't know. Pool, like a broader pool, maybe? Nah. Audience? Yeah, this is where one of those edits <sighs> might happen. Yep. Uh, to be aware of the demographic and the audience that you're writing to. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, a TV audience has very different rules than a radio audience. Mm -hmm. um, a radio audience has very different rules than a jingle audience. Um, like all of these different genres have very different rules. And as you learn the demographic, you modify your style to what they expect. Definitely. And we're going to be getting more into that for sure with one of the points that I want to talk about because I think that is very, very important. But going back to you, you also have this company called Shattered Glass. Yes. Shattered Glass is a, a music company. It's kind of all-inclusive right now. Uh, we handle uh, publishing. Um, we're starting to take on some acts. We're starting up the record label side. Uh, we're just trying to really give an option for the independents out there that there is a place you can come and learn and not have to be one of the elites. 
Um, we're currently working with uh, some really, really big companies to try and get some uh, marketing tools and some education pieces in place. And we're looking to change the game. But uh, right now it's a uh, it's a publishing, it's an event coordination, it is uh, my songwriting company, it is a music company. If you need it, we can find it. And how did it all start up? When did this idea come to you? Uh, well, kind of like my name, Shard, uh, I realized that the music industry is a ton of different pieces, and everyone is a specialist in that respective field, but no one seems to understand all of it. Um, I was a, very lucky to have a bunch of people I could go and talk to, and what I've done is I've brought them in kind of like a stained glass window. So as you need a specific piece or say I don't know something, I know someone who does. And that's where I kind of created Shattered Glass because everyone is their own specialist. But now you can actually look at that specific piece and you can bring it in and learn from that part. That's interesting. That's actually kind of how this podcast came about, you know, <laughs> like just bringing in all the pieces together to help people out. A giant <laughs> window. I love it. You're the human. I'm the audio. <laughs> <laughs> so you are also one of the Calgary Songsmiths originals. That is pretty cool. Tell us a bit about Calgary Songsmiths and your involvement in it. The Calgary Songsmiths were just a phenomenal organization. I'm really, really lucky that they let me be their ringmaster every third Tuesday of the month. Um, it is a place where I was invited to by Troy Cokel and Joni Delorier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the, the entire mandate of the Songsmiths is to help develop writers. Uh, there's a lot of open mics in town in Calgary where you go and you listen to f- five songs from the host and then two people go on and then you got to listen to another six songs from the host and then another two people go on and they got to listen to another six songs from the host. There are open mics where they only allow you to do covers. There are open mics where they're there to showcase the artist, but there's not much to actually showcase the songwriter skill and craft. Mm-hmm. So we've designed the Calgary Songsmiths to be a bit like the Nashville scene down at the Blueboard, Bluebird or Tootsies where the songwriters come in and share their craft. We start off with a 30-minute lesson every month of something in the music industry, be it how to write a hook, what is a hook, how to publish your songs, how to record your songs. And we do something like that based on what the membership is looking for. Um, This past year, we actually did our very first Calgary Songsmiths project. It's on Spotify, uh, where it's, I think, the Studio D sessions and what it, we did is we selected at random uh, about 15 songsmiths and we brought them into Studio D where um, Steve was so gracious with his time. He recorded these people for free and it was their first time in a studio. It was their first time seeing the next part of what happens with the song when it's done. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were able to put that out to the world and, and our membership was able to get uh, an incredibly high quality demo. And it was all from the generosity of people believing on like, this is the grassroots. This is where we develop the next major hit writers. And it's all genres, which is amazing. We have alternative, we have acapella, we have folk, we have pop, we have country. We have uh, our personal favorite. He, he's unfortunately graduated uh, uh, school, but he, uh, he always did punk. And whenever he did the scream, it was this muffled, <laughs> ah, instead of the full screaming in our mic, because it's great. And uh, the community is unbelievable because so many people are aware of us now. If you come out on the third Tuesday of every month, we call it Calgary's best kept secret for original music because the songs and what they have there from the heart, it is just a magical two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. 
and then people go home for homework or they find people to work with in the community and we build the community, we build collaboration. And we see on average when a first person comes into the Songsmiths, we see their skills improve minimum within about two to three months, anywhere between 60 to 100% of where they were. And it is just spectacular to see. Oh my goodness, you are so right about that. I went to Songsmiths, one of the sessions, August 17th, 2018. I know the exact <laughs> date. I'm really weird like that. And there were probably a good 40 people there at the session. But now you guys are like filling up the whole entire venue. And I remember seeing like Kevin Knopf, Grady Brown, Clint Baker that one night. And now look at them and how you have supported them with Calgary Songsmith. They have achieved so much in just that year alone. And I I was inspired when I walked out of that door. I wanted to continue songwriting. I don't do it anymore. I definitely dabbled in it, but I'm like, leaving it to the pros because I just like doing radio. <laughs> but I got to say, like, I was inspired walking out of there. And then you guys also had it with the Northern Pikes at OCL Studios where that gave us a lot more information and insight onto songwriting and stuff like that. And while being with Calgary Songsmiths, how has that expanded your knowledge of writing and the process itself? And how has that helped you grow as a songwriter being a part of that group? Uh, Songsmiths has been instrumental in my personal development. Um, when I was first invited uh, to join the group, I was still coming out of the artist phase of my career and really having a hard time. It was over. And uh, I really couldn't play guitar to save my life. <laughs> Um, so for probably for the first year and a half of Songsmiths, I sang every song a cappella, oh. and uh, seeing everyone up there with their guitars really forced me to try and up my game. So I learned some basic chords, I learned some basic ideas, and uh, now I can I can dabble in guitar. I am nowhere near a Kevin Knopf level. I am nowhere near a Troy Kolko level. I am nowhere near half the people that can just play the guitar like no one else, like Mark Cassano and Drew McGibbon, like amazing amazing guitarist, but I can at least chord my own songs. And the songsmiths are the key reason I wanted to do it because I wanted people to hear what was going on behind my song. And then hearing the lyrics, like you sit down and you listen to Nancy LaBerge or Joni DeLaurier, and you listen to the detail and lyrics that they have behind it. I mean, even Sydney May, when she was coming through, it was unbelievable. And it really forced you to up your game because in, in writer's rounds when we go on stage and we perform, or even the songsmiths, it's, it's kind of a, well, here's my best, and can you top that? And everyone always wants to try and beat the song that was before them. And as much as we joke, and like, honestly, it is one of the most supportive groups mm -hmm. you will ever come across. Our stage is one of the most intimidating because every single person in that coffee shop is dead silent listening to you. And they're listening to every word, every every nuance, every feeling that you have. We've had people break down and cry on stage because they're sharing their heart. We've had people get into fights because they think a song's about them or something else, like raw emotions that is just magical. And it's all about the song. And, and honestly, we've had major artists come by as well, and they've played, and they walked out saying, I'm scared to go up there because you guys are just sharing your heart and soul. Like it's no longer, well, here's my top 10 because we've taken the, the, the artist side out of it. We just want the song. We want you to be the best writer that you can. Mm -hmm. And 
take take one of our longest members, Greg, and what happened was is he came religiously for about a year and a half until he finally asked if he could have, go on stage. And when he did, it was an emotional night for everyone. Like all of us were crying because he got up on stage. He was scared because he shared his song, but he was incredible. And now he's one of our biggest supporters and he's brought people out to see it. And we're now a place where people can come to learn to write and elevate their game. Like the Songsmiths has been instrumental in my personal growth. And I can't tell you how many people were the largest independent songwriting community in Canada. And honestly, they're the nicest people on the planet. And as for you, you said you, uh, you haven't come back. What we always say is we'll be there the third Tuesday of the month. Go live life. And one of these days, come back and share us with, with us what you've done. It's very true. And like every single month, I get that invite on Facebook and I still get texts from Troy saying, hey, there's a new musician that wants to talk about songwriting. Do you have time to meet up with him or talk about songwriting for radio or just networking in general? Can you meet up with them? So it is one of the most welcoming communities I've ever been a part of. And they still call me a songsmith, even though I've only been to two <laughs> sessions altogether. I'm like, I feel like. I'm part of a group you and you're are amazing. part of our group. And I just think it's so incredible. And I fully support Calgary Songsmiths, even if they are a not emerging artist or independent artist, but as an established artist, because you will learn so much from just watching these emerging artists spill their heart out on stage, you know? And like we've both said, the talent that has come out of there. And the amount of people that we've seen come out of there just flourish. It's so incredible. So thanks for being a part of Calgary Songsmiths. Oh, I'm happy to be a part of it as long as they let me uh, ringmaster the entire circus over there. Ringmaster. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know. Actually, yeah, that one day was a circus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we were talking about this a bit earlier off mic about how many songs you have written. And you actually don't know you've written so many, but you were looking at it for your books alone. Have you figured out how many songs you've written? I unfortunately have not. Um, <laughs> I, I did a, a solid, solid attempt for, for, this, uh, for this podcast. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you I've written well over 600 songs. I can tell you I've worked with well over probably 250 artists and climbing, um, all makes levels and stages. I've written with songwriters. I've written with producers. I've written with artists. I've written with people who have never written a song before. I have taught kindergarten classes. I have taught high school classes. I have shared what I know because I'm just a guy. And my entire mandate is to share information that I was not aware of when I started. I want to save people time. I want to save people energy. But no, as far as actual songs and I'm talking completed songs here is well over 600, but the songs that haven't made it, if we're counting those, I'd say that's well over 800 that'll <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever see the light of day because you write them and you're like, oh, no, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> that's that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many musicians say like they went through 50 through 100 songs before it made it onto the album or like the 12 songs made it onto the album? Every artist says that. Every artist says that. So let's talk about how you work with emerging artists and musicians. You do consultations essentially with them. How does that work with you? How do you go after the musician or do they come to you? Uh, I've been very lucky um, where most of my work comes from word of mouth. People have come up to me and approached me and said, hey, would you like to work? And I remember in the early days, it was awesome because it was like, oh gosh, absolutely. When next week do you want to write? I'm, I'm available all the time. It's amazing. <laughs> and uh, you fast forward right now, I'm currently booking into December because my, my calendar is so 
so packed and uh, it sucks where if um, we have a cancellation, it, it, it sucks because it's going to take me like almost a month and a half to get them back into my calendar. So um, when people come up to me and say, hey, can, do you want to write sometime? Of course I want to write sometime. But if you don't get me with my calendar at that moment in time, it's just going to keep pushing out and pushing out and pushing out. And um, the biggest thing I always tell them is I have a rule. Three awkward encounters. We're saying we have to write and we haven't written. We actually have to bring up the calendars and put it in. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I'm very fortunate enough where if there's someone that I really want to work with, I call up and they're very gracious with their time. And they're like, yeah, we'd love to work with you. Or they just wait until the universal lines and the schedules work out. I feel like we still don't know how we met. We are still trying to figure that out. That's true. We we, <laughs> we still don't know the exact date and time or whenever that happened. But uh, There must have been three awkward encounters. There has to have been because, you know, we brought out the calendars and put it in, in the made a date. Yeah, we went for coffee. Like <laughs> Indeed. That was a, I remember that. That was a Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah, Starbucks that was like the at first Christmas time, time we hung out. Yes. Yeah, cuz I was wearing And you were wearing your... that reindeer necklace. Really? Yes. I don't even remember these things. The universe. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you do songwriting with musicians, you rely on royalties and trust and those kind of things with the musicians. You don't charge the musician to write with you. Is that right? That is correct. And uh, I would be very cautious of anyone out there charging uh, to songwrite um, with their time because uh, most of the time we work on the back end. If it's a consultation, if it's something else, completely different ballgame. But to say, oh, yeah, I'll write with you, but it'll cost me X amount of dollars for the opportunity to write with you, you have to, and, and this is just shard talking out there, I'm one guy in a world of trillions. You got to be very conscientious to make sure that it is worth your time because, or the money for their time, because there's absolutely no way they can guarantee you a hit song. It's not possible because of all the variables that go into it. And uh, for, for anyone to say, it's like, I can write you a hit song if you pay me $250 or 50 bucks or whatever their price may be. Mm-hmm. You as an artist or a songwriter have to determine if that money is worth it for your professional development. But personally, myself, I would never do that. That is a good omen, I think, you know, because you can't guarantee a hit song. You can't. There's no. there's too many variables involved in it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So you work with many genres of music, not just country music where we met, but you've written pretty much almost anything. Uh, actually, I pretty much have written anything. Um, I, I've written garbage. Um, I've written uh, some wonderful songs. I've written um, everything in between. And uh, I'm very fortunate. I write rock, pop, top 40. Um, I was uh, consulted just recently to do a rap album. Really? Yeah. Um, working on that at the moment, which has been a, a huge learning curve for me, but a lot of fun. Um, and I've written for uh, advertisements, TV, movies. I, if there's a project out there, I'm happy to, to sit down and try my hand at it. Well, you're just learning rap right now, but is there a genre that's harder to write than any other genre? For me personally, um, it's, it's musical and, uh, alternative rock, uh, just because they're more, well, musical is a completely different beast in its own. Like there's a completely different podcast in there if you choose to go there. (laughs) Um, but in, in, Alternative rock and independent rock are hard for me because I don't have mastery of an instrument, and that really relies on a lot of instrumental hooks. 
And uh, it's really hard for me to kind of come up with them unless I'm working with a very, very talented musician in the room. And uh, then we can kind of get our way through it. But that one I struggle with quite a bit. Interesting. What is your favorite genre to work with? Do you have one? Hands down country. Yeah. Bread and butter because it's stories. It's heart. It's genuine. It's not saying the same thing 10 times in the chorus or anything like that. Like there's there's meaning and depth in country music that I truly have not been able to find anywhere else. I bet. Yeah, definitely. It's that actually is a genre for me that's really hard to write because it is so in-depth and I'm like, I don't want to open up like that. <laughs> but then pop, we were talking about this. That is my niche. I can write pop songs okay and I'm I'm happy with that. I'm like, cool, let's keep doing that. But I don't do that anymore. So you're, you're inspiring me again, Shard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do what I can. So you travel pretty much all the way across North America to speak with many people about your songwriting and mentoring like you've been to anthem you've traveled to the states you've done so much that i can't even name half the stuff you've done off but (laughs) how did i mean i can see how you got there but i mean how have you gotten there like it's it's amazing you know i feel like musicians that know you now think like boom it just happened overnight but how did you get to where you are now um it took a lot of hard work um like honestly it took brutal, brutal amounts of work in the early years. Uh, I I was able to learn from uh, Ralph Murphy. I was able to learn from other mentors, and they ripped my songs apart. And in the beginning, I thought they were personally attacking me, but they weren't. They were were only caring about the song. And uh, it took me a while to be able to separate personal shard against these songs that exist and how they just want them to be the best that they can be. So... I forgot the question. How did you get to where you are today? Oh, yes, yes. Hard <laughs> work. This. Hard, hard, hard work. So it was a bunch of trial and error. Um, honestly, I, I subscribe to the rule of 10,000 hours. And uh, what I do every year is I, I've started keeping a running tally about six years ago um, as to how many writes I do in a year. And I average about 300 co-writes a year. Every co-write is approximately three hours. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. But three hours is a good average. And uh, running all that out, I'm looking at approximately 900 hours, give or take, um, a year. And cumulatively, I think I'm sitting at about 7,000 and change hours. And I subscribe to the rule of 10,000 hours. So I'm still in my development. I truly believe that. But the early years were were really hard because... Mm-hmm. You couldn't get the co-writes that you wanted because no one knew who you were. And it was, well, how do I do this? There was lots of time on YouTube. There were lots of times where Taylor Swift dropped the new album and I would analyze why I liked the song. I would go back to my notes that I had from various mentors and find the methodology or read hundreds of books, The Artist Way, uh, Find Your Way in the the Record World, like all of these self-help books or teach yourself to write books. Um, I took songwriting classes down in Nashville and, and songwriting camps with um, uh, Songtown and various, anywhere I felt I could learn, I went to. And it got to a point after about four or five years, I found that a lot of information was repeating itself, which meant two things for me. One, they finally drilled into my thick head and I was remembering, and two, I realized that I was actually already implementing these tools. So then it became, 
well, now how do I, quote unquote, write up in the world? So it was trying to find that person who was above me and in my career where I could go and learn from them. And as I wrote with them, there came a point where I was like, this is cool. Suddenly I feel like I'm on an equal level to them. And now I have to find someone else to write up to. And it was always, what's that next step? What's that next piece? And then eventually one day, and I don't even know how it happened, people started coming to me asking, hey, could I write sometime? Which boggled my mind because I was still a student in my mind. But you don't realize the hard work you put in when you love something so much. Mm -hmm. And then you get the chance to, to, to write amazing songs. And what happens is, you write an okay song, an okay song, and then a good song, and an okay song, and an okay song. And if you look to see what happened, what was different on that that good song, nothing really. It was just the universe and harmonious beings came into play. And from that day at that time, it was just a better song. And then you try to emulate that. And eventually all of your okay songs become good songs. And now you write a good song, a good song, a good song. And then you write a really good song and a good song and a good song. And you repeat that process, but I assure you, it was not overnight. I have spent thousands of hours in the forge just trying to hone my craft, trying to find the perfect rhyme for orange and silver. Like, it's ridiculous. It is It is crazy how much time I spend up at night thinking of neat and different rhymes. Is there anything that you are still learning or that you still want to learn in the songwriting process? To quote Plato, the only thing I know for sure is I don't know anything. <laughs> I, I I feel that I have a, a bit of an understanding of a lot of different things, but the neat thing with songwriting is it modifies and changes so fast in today's current market. You have to be aware. Um, like in the pop world, it changes almost every six months right now, and you got to follow the new rules or find the new piece or be that next thing. I mean, uh, Billie, Billie Eilish, or El- El- Elish, uh, mm-hmm. she she found a brand new thing, and everyone jumped on her, and now there's all these different copycats kind of mimicking her style. Well, whoever the next thing is in pop, they're going to have probably about two to three months of their own, and then everyone else is going to start emulating them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one way you can learn your style. You can find someone you like and emulate it and then make it your own and mm-hmm. then own it. And then you have to reinvent yourself if you're an artist when everything changes. Or you just toe the line and say, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Like the, the voice actor who does Archer and Bob's Burgers, that is his style. That is what people go for. Mm-hmm. But like take a look at Taylor Swift who started in country and now she's in pop. Like that's reinvention 101. Yeah. So it it's just pays to just be creative and just go where the music takes you and eventually in your heart of hearts and your gut of guts you're gonna know if something's spectacular or if it's just another song Mm -hmm. and it's those spectacular ones you want to just kind of focus a little more energy on because there's something there well before we talk about the styles of writing and writing the song itself is there any advice that you were given that really stands out to you that you want to share with an emerging artist or an independent artist that's a hard one. The best thing I can give, and again, this is just shard in a world of trillions, just my opinion, is don't quit. They can't all be gold. Like, it really is a numbers game with songs. You got to write the bad before you get to the good. And, you know, it's not, no one intentionally sets out to write a terrible song. No one intentionally sets out to make a terrible movie. But they're made and it happens. 
it's it's up to you to realize and be honest with yourself, well, is this bad? And if it is, that's not the end of the world. You just do better next time. Or is there something in that song you can salvage that can take you in a completely different direction? It takes a lot of hard work. And if you're about to invest a lot of money into your recordings and everything else, you got to make sure that song, be it one of mine, be it one of yours, be it someone else's, is the absolute best song possible to invest in because that's going to be your calling card. Be it good, bad, or indifferent, people are going to remember that. Mm-hmm. And we are going to be doing a podcast about the financial aspect of Ooh, that's going to be writing a, good one. a song. So yeah, and I did already do that interview. I'm just going to say that right now. <laughs> and you got to know your value and that song has got to be worth something, you know, because it's expensive, but we'll talk about that in the next podcast. And I just want to say thank you again, Shard, for coming into Studio B. It's a real pleasure to have you here, and you are listening to Studio B. I am your host, Sarah Scott. Shard Morrison is our guest this weekend, and we are talking about songwriting and the technical aspects of it, so you can write the best song ever for radio. It started with a song, is what this episode is called. Shard Morrison, let's get back into it. Now we're actually going to get get into the writing of the song itself, which seems a little bit daunting for emerging and independent artists, you know, because like you said, there's going to be some duds, there's going to be some hits, but they can't give up. But we're going to do their do our best to help them succeed today on Studio B. So let's talk about the styles of writing first. So there's jingle, movies, TV, radio, anthemic, background, and target writing, of course. But today we are talking about Writing a song for radio, essentially, or for Spotify or any streaming app or just for the musician itself. So let's focus on the styles of writing when it comes to radio writing. I, You're talking format of song? Yeah, the format okay, of the for songs. Sure. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, no problem. Um, so, so for radio, uh, when a f- we say format or song format, it's how the song is produced. It's how the song is presented to the listener. And in current country radio, or we'll take country because that's the one I like the most. Um, In country radio, it's standard what we call A-B style. And that means it's going to be verse, chorus, verse, chorus, maybe a bridge, maybe an electric guitar solo or something, then chorus out. That is a format. But then you get into various kinds. In um, country music, there's a bunch of them. there's there's one where we can start with the chorus, right? And we, we come in uh, like The Journey by Paul Brandt and uh, – or sorry, Shotgun by Paul Brandt. He comes in with the chorus first and then he goes into the verse and then chorus, verse, chorus, chorus out. Uh, you can take um, uh, the Hunter Brothers, their first one, and they have uh, what what's called uh, an A chorus. And what it is is there's there's a verse and then it's chorus. Chorus, chorus, one line of a verse, chorus. So the format of a song is how it's presented to the general masses. And uh, one more I'll do is uh, Tim McGraw, The Cowboy and Me. It is actually breaking a bunch of rules with the the standard A-B style, where it's actually, he does verse, chorus, chorus, verse, instrumental. And those songs are, are, are great because what will happen is, is it changes the format for the listener. It's not wrong. It's not an error, but it's different, which will make them listen. 
when you do those kind of songs, you got to make sure your lyrical content and instrumental hooks are, are bang on because it's so different from the original format that we hear on a day-to-day basis where it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, out, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, out. If it's not an amazing song, the listener is going to change a channel because, well, that's not what I'm used to hearing. So the format of a song is traditionally in country, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, instrumental bridge out. Hmm. So that is the style that we write. And that's been handed down since radio became a thing um, way back to like the four tokens and the temptations. And it's just a style that it's been written where the human race as a general know that this is what we look at. And again, I'm talking North America because Euro is different. African is different. Australia is different. Like it's all kind of different where people exist. But here in North America, that is the traditional bread and butter format. That's really interesting. And when it comes to the format of the song, I once heard that there was like a 30-second rule for the first verse verse, or going towards the chorus. Is there like a length that each chorus should be, that the verse should be, that the bridge should be? Are there different lengths of time that these aspects of a song should be? In traditional country, um, or sorry, current country, new country, uh, the general rule of thumb is, is you want to get to the first mention of your hook, your title or something, within 45 seconds to a minute. Okay. Um, ideally, you want to be done your first chorus by about the minute, minute 10 mark. So uh, intros originally were about five to seven seconds. But in today's current format, we're averaging about three and a half to five seconds because with people's attention spans so short, we've got to capture you and get right into why you're supposed to listen to this song. So... I always personally try to have my first mention of the hook, and traditionally the hook is the last thing you say in your chorus by about 45 seconds to a minute. And if you're within that time frame, you're you're usually in good shape. And if you're outside of that time frame, you might want to take a look to see where you can cut things because that's usually all the time a listener will give you to know if they want to hear the full song or change the station. So that 30-second rule, whoever said that, I wonder where they are now. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Probably really good because the faster you can get to that hook, especially in rock and pop, your first mention of your hook happens within 20 to 20 to 30 seconds. Huh. That's cool. So New way to put it. It's it's different rules have different or different genres have different rules. Definitely. Is there anything else about format that you want to talk about or mention with a song? Uh, the big thing right now in in current formatting is is really take a look at your your bridge. Um, bridges are a very hot topic and. Some people say, you know, burn the bridge and get to that chorus. Don't bore us, get to the chorus. There's, there's reasons that these things exist. Um, in country music, the bridge is traditionally used if you are presenting new information to the listener or you're summarizing your song in a matter of like two lines. That's super key because if you don't need it, you got to take a look at is this, is this you or is this shard saying stuff that shard truly believes in or is it for the betterment of the whole song? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when I listen to Bridges, it's pretty much glorification of yourself and just chatting or whatever you want to do. And it could easily have been cut out and you could have an instrumental thing. And right now a big thing is they'll take the the, the hook or a really cool line within it and they'll do um, kind of a build, a pop build or something on it where it's 
this word repeated and this, this word repeated, this word, and they, they layer it up and then they go back into the chorus and they're out. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be something like that, but the cor- the bridge always, always, always has to have a different melody, a different feel. So the listener realizes something has changed sonically. They need to pay attention because new information is about to be presented. So if you're not meeting one of those rules, really take a look at your bridge to see if it's needed. And if it's not, see if you can incorporate your message of the bridge into your verses. Try and incorporate that and try and keep it between three minutes and three minutes and 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. If you can get sub three minutes in a full song, um, that's honestly where the current climate of radio is being pushed. And we're definitely going to get talking into editing and making your song perfect in part two of that. So we'll dive deeper into that uh, coming up. What I thought was interesting when I did take one of those summer schools with songsmiths is that they were talking about there's no real wrong way to write a song and some people start with the lyrics some people start with the melody first some people start with a few verses or a chorus what would be your recommendations for writing a song how would you start it i would start writing a song with a solid idea um, anytime I sit down with an artist and we're, we're trying to find the song, what we'll do is we'll throw a couple titles at each other to see what hits both of us that day in that room at that time. Something, sometimes it's something sad, sometimes it's something happy, or sometimes it's a line that's just, that's really interesting. And then what I personally do is I'll spend the next 10 to 20 minutes really sussing out that storyline around that idea. Are there multiple storylines we could find? And if there are, which is the most interesting one? Which is the one that hasn't been done a thousand times? Which is the one where if you saw that title or or they hear that, they're going to say, that's really cool. Could we turn that phrase in a way no one has before? Then once both you and I are on the same page, we know that same storyline. It's a technique I use called song mapping. We'll actually map that out. What do we want to say in the first verse? We want to say boy meets girl in the first verse. What does the chorus want to say? The chorus is usually your, your, your hook. Um, so let's say the, the, the hook of the song is I will always love you. Thanks, Dolly. Um, you know, it's like boy meets girl, chorus is I will always love you. What is second verse going to say? Yeah. Right? So that's when we want to say, okay, well, we want to say in the second verse why they'll always love them or or what they did to make sure that they're the person for them, right? And then as long as both of us are aware of what we want to say in verse one, the chorus in verse two, both of our brains are working to that same end goal. And we can be very, very honest with each other where it's like, that's a great line, but does it help advance the story? Or is it just a really great rhyme? And that's where you got to kind of take back and step back and it's like, okay, well, this is where we want to go with it. So when you start writing a song, honestly, there are no there are no rules, there are no limits because something you say could trigger something in the other person, which could get the idea of where they want to go. Mm-hmm. But if you were, oh, that's stupid, I don't want to say that, that could never happen. So you got to be creative when you start a song and just let it flow. It just Just honestly let anything in your brain come out because one of those things may trigger the entire story. Mm-hmm. Well, Troy Kokel does it really interestingly. Like he'll, he'll sit down at a coffee shop and he'll just write anything that comes out of his brain. And whatever comes out, he'll then edit it afterwards. But he just gets it all out on the paper first and then edits it. And I think that is a super cool idea to do. And on the topic of just getting it all out there, 
there isn't really a time limit on when a song needs to be written by unless you're with a label and they're like, you need to have this song done in three days. But there isn't like a time limit for when a song needs to be done, is there either? No, um, that's a big thing right now with the current social media climate. Um, I see this all the time. We'll we'll finish a, a song. And when I say finish a song, we'll have what I call like the bone structure of it. We'll have like a working work tape of it. And then the next day they're they're putting it on social media. The thing is, is no one knows that we've written that song besides you and me. Mm -hmm. Like as much as you want to tell the world about it, I take the little extra time to make sure it is polished and ready and then send it out there. Um, Because honestly, there is no time limit. Like we live in the right now society, but if you're putting that much work and time into something, I want to make sure it's amazing before you send it out. But again, that's just me. And, and as you know, from my personal social presence, I'm all over social media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sarcasm. Yep. Um, but I know people who, who like, they tweet when they come into a writing session with me and they tweet on the way out. And, and actually, while I'm at it, I've been, I've been sitting on this one for a long time. Everyone keeps saying they, they've written a banger with this person or wrote a banger with this person. And I hate to say this, but the numbers don't mad up. I, I've been to songwriter rounds. You can't all write bangers all the time. <laughs> there are hundred different kinds of songs you can write. So be honest. Say you wrote a great song or an amazing song. Mm-hmm. Vent over. No, I get that because on Instagram <sighs> and like Facebook and stuff, you see these selfies with a musician and another musician wrote a hit song with so-and-so, wrote a hit song with so-and-so. And then I'm like, okay, when's the song actually coming out? And then a year later, the song comes out. And I'm like, cool, that was a good song, you know? But then we kind of forgot about it in a sense because they talked about it a year ago before the song actually came out. So I kind of agree with like waiting for a little bit. And even with this podcast, I'm like, when do I actually start talking about it? You know, like I didn't (laughs) want to get too much excitement too early on in the game. So I, I, I agree with that. I really do. I think that's a cool topic. Um, so we're going to talk about your hook book now, which oh, I thought was book. a cool thing because that gave me a bunch of ideas. But the hook book, talk about that. The hook book is something every songwriter will have. And, and chances are you have it and you just don't have a name for it. it it's a place where you put ideas. And uh, long ago, before many people were born, we had uh, cassette recorders. <laughs> we, we had the little, the little reel-to-reels and the little handheld recording things where you push record and you said your little thing and, and you push stop. And then that moved to digitized voice things and that moved to something else. And then eventually they came out with the new version of phones. And honestly, from a songwriter creative, phones have been the greatest advancement in songwriting probably in the past decade century I'll go I'll go century why not you know besides the entire recording of things um but what it allows is it allows us if we have an idea we can bring out our phone and write it down because in the writer's concept we can have an idea and in that idea there are milliseconds where we actually create a backstory to everything in that song but if you don't write it down that second or you're going to get to it in an hour when you can go to a piece of paper and write it down or something like that chances are you're going to lose the heart of the idea. You'll kind of remember the idea, but a lot of time it's not what you said, it's how you said it, mm-hmm. right? You're going to find that new, new and unique way of presenting it. And if writing isn't good enough, you can easily grab your phone, bring out the, the voice recording and do it. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sifted through my voice recordings and there's a lot of garbage on there, but every now and then there's a really good one. And same thing with the, the 3 a.m. idea. I can't tell you how many times I've woken up from a dream, grabbed my phone, sung what I thought was a flawless recording into it, 
and I play it in the morning, and it is just me on I'm like, what is this? What was I on? Oh. And then that idea is gone forever. So the hookbook is a chance to write down in the moment what it is. And then when you sit down to write the song, you can go through all those ideas. Mm-hmm. You can then decide, is that a worthy idea? Well, I don't know what I was really thinking when I wrote that line down, but I'll say it anyway, and maybe it'll trigger something with you. Or it's a place where you can keep all of your ideas. And I have a, a longstanding document I've been keeping for 10 years. I've got easily easily hundreds and hundreds of hooks in there. Some are good, some are terrible, some are great. Some have become hits and and it's just a place where it's a, a running tally of all my current and, and old ideas where I can go back and in that day, in that room with that person I'm writing with, sit down and say, well, I think this is a song this time. So it's a great way to kind of get ideas out. And if they don't have a book per se, I'm more of a get it out on paper kind of person put it into your phone like sing it into your phone if you're in public I'm pretty sure people are probably just going to think you're talking to someone on the phone so you're okay because absolutely yeah. I've actually been in movie theaters where they have they have said a line in the movie and I said that's cool I bring it out and I've been shushed by the people behind me and luckily I'm a gorilla and I look behind me and they're like oh, okay we're just not going to bother him anymore <laughs> and I, I do my best to hide the glow of the screen but you know in that second in that time you got to get that idea gone because because otherwise it's gone into the ether. Yeah. Mine are always shower thoughts. I'm like, I need like something in the shower. You need like a whiteboard or something. Yeah. So I have the shower thoughts. That's the kind of person I am. But now let's talk about the opening lines and the catchy hooks. How do we create a really good opening line of a song and really catchy hooks? How do you do it? Do you have any recommendations? Honestly, it's going to come down to how, how skilled you are in music. Um, because uh, the, the instrumental hooks, the intro of the song, that's, that's beyond my knowledge. And usually they can rip that from the melody. But as we said before, sometimes it's verbs, sometimes it's words, sometimes it's a tune that you can't get out of your head. And that's what the song starts with. That's where it builds around. And that's kind of your, your core theme running through it. Uh, for the opening line to grab someone's attention, I always picture myself on my busiest day when I've had a rough day. I want to find that line that's going to make me say, whoa, hold on, wait, s- turn that up. I want them to say something that's relevant or meaning that pulls me directly into the song. Um, I, I love talking in the first person where it's like, you know, could I could I have a minute of your time? Or it's like, you, you came in looking like fire or, or something and it makes me want, okay, why? What, like, I always try to bring my, my first lines, I always try to bring halfway through a conversation where if someone's, someone on the outside is listening and they suddenly come in halfway through, like, well, what are they talking about? I want to know more. And the chorus is going to explain what we're talking about. Like, I always try to bring my songs in from that kind of angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as uh, hookiness or or those kind of things, it, it's honestly going to be trial and error. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've I've had a great line but no melodic thing behind it, and I have spent maybe an hour trying various syncopated rhythms or straight rhythms or swing rhythms or whatever it is to try and find that kind of thing for it, and then eventually something hits, and you're and again you got to trust your instincts and your your mind and your gut, and it's like okay that was cool, mm-hmm. 
maybe I should try that again. And then maybe that can lead to something else. And then it's that one spark that can start it. So it's a lot of trial and error. But again, don't be afraid to rewrite. Definitely. And the chorus, the chorus is usually what people remember the most. They're going to repeat the most. So how do they create a standout, outstanding chorus? So the way I look at it is, again, back to the song mapping technique. Um, I always look at it as kind of like a funnel for lack of a better term. So your first line of your first verse is the widest part, and then your next line kind of zeroes in a little more, and it kind of zeroes in a little more, and it kind of zeroes in a little more. By the time you get to your chorus, every line in your verse should support it somehow. It should always kind of refer back to it. So by the time we drop the hook, by the time we drop the chorus, it's not a strange concept to the listener. They're already prepared for it without them even realizing they're prepared for it. Like if it's a breakup song, um, we're going to start the the song where it's like, you know, there were tears in my eyes. There were, you gave me back my stuff. You, you left, you looked behind, you drove away probably for the last time. If you're going linear and story-wise, is that chorus going to be, hallelujah, I'm free? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to be, I'm really sad? Like those, those descriptors are going to point you to the sad area. Right. Whereas if you twist it and said, I couldn't wait to kiss her goodbye, I couldn't wait to to get in and start my new life, that chorus is going to be a little more upbeat where it's like it's a new start or something for you. So we can twist our words into that. So your chorus, your, your verses always have to support your chorus and your chorus always has to be that heart of the song. And when we say it's the hook, it's usually that last line of the chorus because that's the last thing the listener hears. They never remember what's in the middle. They always remember that first thing you said or the last thing you said. And the last thing we say in 99% of the songs, that last word is usually before an instrumental break. Mm -hmm. So when folks call into the radio, it's like, yeah, I want that song that ended where it's like this. And that makes it easy because that's 90% of the songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's actually interesting you say that because we get a lot of callers like, I don't know the name of that song, but it goes like this and like, boom, got it, like. Or even just the beginning first notes of a song. I'm even like, oh, yeah, I got it. We're good kind of a thing. But that's because I know 90% of the songs that I play. But if it's someone brand spanking new that hasn't had their song on the radio yet, it's got to be good, you know? It's got to catch your ear. And uh, we got to talk about the use of cliches. They drive me nuts. I hear them all the time. And I literally cringe like it's my ears just shut off as soon as I hear like a cliche like heart and apart and eyes and realize and all those kinds of things I don't want to be mean when I say that but I want to I want to be honest about it like stop using it you know how do you feel about using cliches in songs still I I am a mixed review on that one because I think they're important as long as you know that they're a placeholder um when we get to the point where we're, we're doing a, a, a work tape on it, if I'm not 100% sold on the line, I will have them do the line with da, 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 da to the melody. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is because as you play it back and you listen to it, those placeholders suddenly become the real words, even though they're not. And subconsciously, if you now try to change them, it's hard because, well, those are the words mm-hmm. when they're not. So... I believe in the uh, the development of, you know, moon, June, soon, spoon, like those kind of things. They're important for a starting point. But after that, and if it goes to the next level and you think the song has like potential, you've got to sit back. You've got to be honest with yourself and be like, is this being fair to the song? And 90% of the time it's not. 
Like, you can easily come up with a different kind of rhyme, like, you know, stiletto and amaretto. You could find different things like orange and syringe. You can find different things that make it unique because you got to remember with the amount of music available in today's world with Spotify in existence, there are millions of songs at your fingertips. And if we all use the same stuff, well, why wouldn't we just listen to the first person who did it? Mm-hmm. Right? So that's why like cliches are important because they're universal truths, but they got to be your universal truth if you want to truly make it your own and not a cookie cutter. And so, yes, avoid cliches, but they're cliches for a reason because they are universal truths. So, And it kind of goes back to when you said people like listening what they know. Yes. That actually ties really nicely into that. And I think that's interesting. I will still cringe when I hear a cliche because I feel like I saw this Facebook post. It was 2014. I remember it specifically where someone was complaining about country music. Literally every single song had the exact same message in it. Painted on jeans, red solo cups, beer drinking, trucks doing donuts. Like, that was every bro country song on the planet at that point. Well, we are moving right along with the first episode of Studio B. It started with a song with Shard Morrison. Thanks for joining us today. Now, if you're an emerging artist or an independent artist and you want to know how to emulate your favorite musician while still being your own unique, wonderful self, well, you're going to want to keep listening. Shard Morrison Let's talk about it. Moving into this topic now, a lot of musicians are inspired by other musicians, like the big idols, you know, and they want to emulate them and they want to be like them and they want to write like them. How can an artist achieve that sound of their favorite musician, but also be unique with their songwriting? I'm going to go to a Randy Bachman technique on this particular one. Cool. And what it is, is um, the best way to do it is emulation is fine and imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But then you get into copyright, and that's no good to anyone. I mean, uh, even take uh, Taylor Swift with uh, Look What You Made Me Do. She cited uh, Right Said Fred for um, I'm Too Sexy for the, that basis of, of that crux. And who knows if it happened or not, but someone in there said, you know what, this is awfully close. So she, was, she gave that, that nod to them. Mm-hmm. But if no one told me about Right Said Fred and I'm Too Sexy for, when I heard it for the first time, I was like, this is really catchy, but there's someone out there who knows it's like, well, this is a dead rip. And I do it all the time in songs too, where I can literally superimpose other lyrics over top of their melody and it's identical. That is frightening, but it happens. It's different. Technically, it's not a copyright infringement, but emulation is fine, but then you got to make it your own. Say you want, you got writer's block and one of the techniques is, is do a parody of a song. Take someone's lyrics and go, put new lyrics over an existing melody. Mm -hmm. When you do that, you're going to find that you're going to add your own flourish. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes your own emulating them, right? You're not singing the Taylor Swift song. You're now singing your own song, but it was based on this one. And that's where you get the, the variations in music. That's where you get the originality because if we're being totally honest, there's only 26 letters and how much can you do? You know, like there, there is a finite amount of, of what we can do and operate on. Yeah. But the messages and how you present it is what matters. And that's what makes it different and unique. And we're going to talk about uh, writer's block here in a minute and how you combat writer's block. But let's talk about in the song, repeating the message, getting the story out and the metaphor. Actually, let's talk about repeating the message first. Like somebody wants to repeat a message in a story 
but they don't want it to be annoying kind of a thing you know like you hear some songs that are literally the same lyrics over and over and over and over again how can someone repeat a message in a song if that's the intention of the song and do it properly i would look to incorporating that message into your chorus you know maybe uh maybe you do what we call a half and half where half of the chorus is words and you go into more words and more words but then you have the message with the message and a catchy beat with the message and the message instrumental and do that again and then you can repeat your message again with a new breakdown in the bridge. If that's how you really want to really drive home that message, I would go one of those ways. Because it's an acceptable format. The listener won't be offended with it, but you're not banging them over the head with the exact same thing. Hmm. Until maybe after the initial novelty of the song has passed. Then you get into the lyrics and you start learning your lyrics. Like I, I used to always go through... Um, CD covers and, and record things where they had the lyrics printed out. And even I go online now when I can't understand some of the words said. And when I read the actual song, I'm like, well, they just did one thing and they copy and pasted it four times. The production value makes me want to listen to it, but I know that has a set shelf life. I'm only going to be listening to that for maybe two, three weeks, and then that'll go into my archive of something where it may come up on a random shuffle. Well, you're uh, on, on radio too. We'll play it for like two months nonstop, and then we never hear from it again. Exactly. Kind of a thing. So now we're going to move on to getting the story out in a song without making it sound too convoluted. I mean, we're going to talk about editing, of course, in a bit, but <laughs> these people have these songs that are so close to their heart and such a story that's close to their heart. But you are talking about how the musician has to get away from themselves and think about their audience. So how do they write their story for an audience? Best way I could say is write your song from your angle. Write it from your perspective. Get it out. Get it on page. Then you got to look at it. And you have to you have to realize that, you know, so say, say Shard wrote this song and, you know, Shard has this morning routine that is, you know, it's every day for me, but maybe not to every person out there. Mm -hmm. You have to take a step back and it's like, well, instead of, you know, I have a shake and I go to my workout and I do all this. Well, no, you got to do something a little more broad. People wake up, people shower, people usually have coffee. You can you can bring that to that to make it feel like, okay, the song's kind of about me still. I can still see myself there. But the second that I say I'm going to the gym in the morning, I've already alienated half the, half the planet because, well, I go to the gym in the afternoon or I, I don't go to the gym. I run outside. I You've already removed them from this disbelief of their reality for three minutes and 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. you, you have taken them out of the song. You want to keep them in the song as long as you can. So as much as details are amazing, you want to make sure that it's universal details. People go to sleep. People wake up. You, you want to find those things that everyone can relate to. Because the second you say something specific, I drive a Ford. Well, I drive a Chevy. Well, I'm, I'm not interested in this anymore. I drove a truck. Well, now, well, I drive a Ford. I drive a Chevy. I drive a Hyundai. I drive whatever you wish, right? Mm -hmm. You've now kept it. This truck is going down the thing. Like Lee Bryce, I drive your truck. Not once do they say the style of truck. They talk about the inner cab. They talk about the rearview mirror. They talk about stuff rolling on the, the floorboards. They talk about the bench seat. They talk about all this. That's every truck in, in North America. So now when I drive your truck, it's like, yeah, 
I've driven your truck. You haven't said anything that pulls them out of the disbelief of that song. You keep them focused in the moment. You keep them focused on the details of the truck, Mm -hmm. but you haven't said Ford or Chevy. You haven't made that alienation. So once you get all that detail, that's when you come in and segue into editing your songs to make sure it is for a universal audience and you're not alienating people. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Is there a right formula for writing a quotation marks? I say quotation marks because not everybody's <laughs> wanting to write a hit song. Maybe they just want to get their debut single out. But is there a formula for writing a hit song? For radio, technically, um, the demographic is has been pretty solid over the past few decades in country music. And we are writing for a middle-aged woman that has a couple kids in the back seat driving to a job that they hate. Mm-hmm. That is traditionally the the demographic of country music. In the past six years, we've seen a huge influx of like the 18 to 22 year olds, both male and female, because it's now a lifestyle that we're selling. It's now we're selling this, uh, you know, the, the, the painted on jeans or the partying, we're now selling this lifestyle brand. In order to have a hit song in today's market, you've got to look at those two key demographics and you have to target one of them, ideally both. So you have to say something and that's why most countries all about love because everyone falls in love, everyone falls out of love, everyone something about love. And that's why 90% of country is about love. And if you can do that, and even if you take a look at kind of the, the base thing, the number one songs have been about love or they've been about partying. Or a lot about family these days too. A lot of people are writing about their families. That's a big topic. Absolutely. But family is about love. That's true. Oh my goodness. It I know. All it all back. comes back to love. <laughs> so is there anything else about getting the song out that you want to talk about that I may have not mentioned or that you really want to hone in on? I don't think so. It, it's just honestly, it can come from anywhere. It can come from any time. And you just have to let the process take its, take its place. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a song happens in... 20 minutes. It's a download. And we we treasure those ones. And sometimes you don't have to change a thing on it. Sometimes I'm personally still working on a, a song idea that's taken me almost six years and I haven't found the right angle yet. There is no timeline for doing the song, but the big thing is, is write. Honestly, like do, do what Troy, Troy does. He sits down and he writes in a coffee shop and just writes. Mm-hmm. I sit down for three hours at a time and all I do is focus on that. Sometimes after those three hours, we have a chorus. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have a full song. Like there is no limit, but you got to let creativity take its mark. You've got to really be honest with the song and get it out there. Once the song's out there, it's easy to edit. It's easy to look at it and say, well, maybe that's not as great as we thought it was. Mm-hmm. But don't edit yourself in those inception moments. You just got to create. You got to write. You just got to let it flow. Writer's block. Writer's block. Oh, my goodness. It happens to the best of them. Indeed. Writer's block. How would you recommend people combat it or any techniques that you use or that you've learned over the last couple of years for writer's block or does it just happen? I actually suffered from a massive writer's block about year three and four into my journey. And uh, I went from, I, the only way I could describe it was I had the yips. I, I've, I've written a hundred different things and types and I was great. And, and then I got in my own head. Then I started second guessing myself. And then I, I stopped and I, I, I didn't let creativity happen. It's like I wrote down a word or I was afraid to write down a line because it wasn't good enough. I had writer's block and I actually went to a lot of industry peers and I asked, how do you get around writer's block? And I had a dozen different answers. Um, some of them consisted of take 10 minutes a day and write. Doesn't matter what you write, just write. 
It can be anything. Just don't write blah, blah, blah. Just write words, random sentences. You know, the, the TV is off. The, the, the couch is dusty. I really need to clean. Like, it doesn't matter what you write. Just write. That's one technique. Another one is um, I went out to a park and I just watched people and I tried to put a story to the people. Um, for example, if uh, a, a dad was walking their son and they were going to go play ball, I tried to put a backstory to them and, and just try to get that, that, that creativity going again. And sometimes it was straight up. It's like their tryouts are coming out and they want to practice before they try out for the game. Or then it became something else, like a backstory where it's like grandpa's coming into town. We need to make sure we know how to play catch or something. There are ways to get around it. But honestly, the biggest piece of advice I ever got was from Randy Bachman. And um, I went to him and I, I asked him, I'm like, you know, Mr. Bachman, like you're, you're a Canadian legend. I, I hate to ask you this, but I got to ask you this. How do you get over writer's block? And he looked at me with these blue eyes that could pierce your soul. And he looked dead into my heart of hearts. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, writer's block. He said, are you a writer? I said, yes, I'm a songwriter. And he's like, but you're not writing. So how can you call yourself a writer if you don't write? Ooh. And it came down to literally uh, a modification on Yoda. Do or do not. There is no try. Honestly, after he told me that, I sat down and I started writing again. It didn't matter what I wrote. I just wrote. And then it all kind of came back. So writer's block, I truly believe, is a matter of circumstance. I think it's a matter of situational. Sometimes your other duties in your life are pulling you away from your creativity. So you have writer's block, but you don't because you have other things going on that you have to take care of before you can clear that creative spark and path. So if you focus on those things to clean them up or get the things done on your to-do list, you'll suddenly find that you it's off your mind and you can write. Mm -hmm. I find a lot of writer's block is 90% guilt where you should be doing something else. I should be at the gym. I should do laundry. I should do something else besides writing. You feel guilty for writing which is why if it's scheduled into your day, you're allowed to write. You don't have to be doing anything else. You're allowing yourself the creativity to write. That is really well said. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, there's one way to almost combat it as well. And before we wrap up this part one, we got to talk about co-writing. I co feel like that's a big thing. You do a lot of them. It is a great way to combat writer's block, but co-writing it's a little bit tough. I've tried to do it, but I felt like I haven't clicked with anybody just yet. But let's talk about that. The chemistry, the comfortableness, the compatibility. How does someone find the right person to co-write with? Or does it just happen? It is honestly trial and error. Um, the first time I sit down with a new artist, a new musician, a new band, I, uh, I, I go to the set location and we start. And honestly, before that sit down meeting, I usually get in contact with them to say, hey, what are you listening to? If I was to grab your iPod, what would be your top five artists? What what songs are you into? Like for me as a, a professional writer, I need to understand what makes you tick. But um, if you're sitting down for the first time, I really recommend just talking to each other. Get to know each other because you don't know anything about this this person besides you've just been put into a room with them. Mm -hmm. um, in Nashville and in LA, it's a little different story because you're expected to come out with the song in three hours and you don't have a lot of time to get to know them. But if you get that 20 minutes or, or you can go for coffee in the middle of the right, you get to understand who they are. 
Because once you understand who they are and where they're coming from, you can now find some commonalities. I honestly truly believe co-writing for the first time is a lot like a blind date. It is either, wow, that was three hours, I can't believe time flew that fast, or you were spending three hours looking at your phone saying, where is my escape call? This is terrible. Sometimes I don't write again with that person. I give everyone two chances, I really do, because you don't know what's going on in their world or their lives, or maybe I'm having a bad day. I always give it two opportunities. And if in two opportunities it doesn't work, I recommend them to other people because maybe I'm not a match for them. And it honestly is about chemistry. Um, Ty Baton and I, we clicked very, very well, and we've written every Tuesday for the past almost seven years. And we just write, and sometimes we just catch up with each other's lives. Sometimes we come in with a song idea. Sometimes we have good old-fashioned co-stairs. But we have allowed our opportunity to, to sit and, and try and write. And it's been very, very fruitful. And I've had some individuals and artists where we have had amazing chemistry for, say, six songs, and then suddenly it stops. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's go pursue and let's, let's meet up and say another six months' time and see if we can have another great write. you got to trust because if it comes from your heart, it's good. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to force the idea, if you're trying to emulate a story, in country, we can see right through it. If it hasn't happened or you don't know the person who has gone through it, we can see through it. So it's, it's giving yourself the ability to be vulnerable. It's giving you the permission to, to share with another person. And honestly, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. If it doesn't, it's not the end of the world you're still going to be supporting each other. It's never personal. It's just maybe you're not the fit for them. And and once they find that person, or maybe you can say, hey, do you mind if I introduce you to this writer? Maybe that's going to be that chemistry that clicks. And maybe those songs will happen that way. Definitely. And when you're with a co-writer too, and we were talking about this in one of the summer sessions, is you're pretty much sharing like your whole heart and your soul sometimes and you're getting like emotionally naked in front of them and it can be fairly intimidating as an emerging artist whether you're both emerging artists or you're working with a top-notch professional like yourself do you recommend any ways that a musician kind of ease their anxiety when going into a co-writing session don't go in with any expectations just go in trying to make a new friend and trying to write a song don't try and write the next hit don't try and write the next number one go in there and try and come out. What I always try and do in my very first writes, just try and get a chorus. That's hmm. my only objective when I go with them. Let's try and get that chorus. If we get that chorus, we know where it's going to be, and maybe it takes two sessions. As we get writing and we become more comfortable, maybe we get it all into one session. But all I try and do when I go in is just try and write the best chorus possible. And if that happens, and then suddenly, oh, what, be, what if verse one is this, and verse two is this, and then you can keep going on. But I go in just trying to learn about the person Mm -hmm. and trying to get a great chorus. How do writers connect with other writers? Do you ask around? Is it word of mouth? Do they just like slide into their DMs? (laughs) (laughs) How would you recommend someone ask someone else to co-write with them? I really believe that networking is, is key to this. The Calgary Songsmiths is a great place. Oh, yeah. We, we really encourage collaboration. Uh, industry events, uh, the ACMA, the CCMA, jazz festivals, like whatever your genre is, there's usually a festival out there that celebrates your music. Go there. Go and ask questions. A lot of writers have websites. Um, myself, I've got uh, I've got a really old website that I'm working on updating, but in there, in my contacts, and you know, the little thing is like, I want to write. What I'll do is you'll reach out and I'll say, okay, tell me about yourself. Where can I, you got website, what can I see? Because maybe your style is not something I'm jiving on at this moment, but maybe I know someone else I can point you in the right direction of. Network. 
honestly, just go out and network and say, hey, would you like to write sometime? And again, the biggest thing I say is make sure you guys put that date in the calendar when you're there. Otherwise, you just kind of keep calling or it's just kind of keep pushing off into the distance. Yeah, we'll write sometime. We'll write sometime. Well, when is sometime? Yep, been there. That's kind of like a never-ending circle sometimes. Exactly. You know? Three awkward three awkward meetings in person, and then you got to write. Yep. Well, we can wrap up this topic in the sense of also using the resources you know when it comes to connecting, like being, hey, Sarah, you've spoken with so-and-so. Do you recommend I work with them kind of thing? Or they ask, hey, Shard, you've worked with Ty Baton for this many years, and I feel like I really relate to his songs. Should I write with him kind of a thing? Connecting with the resources you already know, I think, is a really cool idea for co-writing as yeah, well. Absolutely. You bet. You know, ask people. It's like, hey, I'm looking to write. Do you know anyone I should maybe hit up? And then you can slide into their DMs. But you, you say it's like, oh, yeah, well, Shard told me to contact you or Sarah told me to contact you. And now it's a warm call instead of a cold call. Yeah. I think that's such a really great way to end the getting the song out part, writing the song, which, like I said, to some is the most intimidating part to most musicians. So hopefully in this part one, we were able to answer the questions we needed to with Shard Morrison. Now the song is done. You love it. Now what? Can you kind of give us a hint of what part two is going to look like? What should we do with the song next? Ah, a little teaser. The little teaser of part two. Well, <laughs> That, that just all, the that, tip. Ju- just the tip of, of, of the song. And that's honestly, uh, it, it, it's a brand new world once you, get, once you get that song and when you think it's something special. And it's a brand new world out of the creativity because now you've got to put on your surgeon gloves and now you've got to start editing and now you've got to start creating and crafting it to make it ready for the big show. And then you got to get it out to the big show. So that is coming up in part two of Studio B. Thank you again to Char Morrison for coming in to talk about songwriting. It started with a song. Part two is coming up. (laughs) 